0: The Old Testament reading for today is Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, As I said before, we're going to spend some time on this text, and then the New Testament reading will be Mark 2, 23 through 28. Let's give our undivided attention to the reading of God's most holy word. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now let us go to the New Testament, to the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 23. Here we hear about Christ and his life and his ministry. Mark two twenty-three. One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They were plucking the heads of grain. The Pharisees considered that work. They thought it to be a violation of the Sabbath day. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, Jesus said to the Pharisees, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So far the reading of God's most holy word. We pray the Lord would bless the preaching of it today. Last week I did state that we were entering into a prolonged consideration of the Sabbath and how long this focus on the Sabbath will last. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, It might take some time. I'm developing this week by week. Of course, it is Genesis 2, 1 through 3 which has prompted this focus on the Sabbath. For it is here in this passage that the Sabbath principle is first introduced to us. God, having created the heavens and the earth in six days, ceased from His work of creation on the seventh day and entered into rest, blessing the seventh day and making it holy. Uh, This He did remember, not for Himself, but for man. Man, made in the image of God, was to imitate His Maker by working six days and resting from His work to give special worship to God on the seventh day. And so, the point that was driven home last Lord's Day, was that the Sabbath is as old as creation. It was not instituted in the days of Moses, but it is as old as creation. To speak with more precision, the Sabbath is in fact one day younger than man. Man was made on the sixth day and the Sabbath on day seven. And so we do see that the Sabbath was made for man, not man For the Sabbath, as Christ Himself did say, man was created first and then the Sabbath was instituted by God for man's benefit, for man's blessing. Uh, We might ask the question though, why the need for a prolonged study on the Sabbath? In some respects uh, we might say the Sabbath principle is very simple. It's actually communicated in only three verses here in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Why do we need a prolonged study on the Sabbath? And I'll give three brief reasons. Uh, One, I think there is a great deal of confusion that exists within the church today concerning the Sabbath and clear teaching is needed. Uh, Two, the confusion that exists concerning the Sabbath has led many to neglect the Sabbath day entirely, and this has been going on for some time in our culture Uh, The situation is such that even if one were convinced that the Sabbath day is to be kept today, a few would understand how to go about keeping it. And so, again, instruction is needed. First, a biblical argument for Sabbath keeping must be made, and then after that, instructions for Sabbath keeping must be presented. And this takes time. A prolonged study on the Sabbath is needed. I even heard. Uh, murmurings last Sunday uh, they weren't complaints necessarily and so maybe murmurings isn't a very good word choice here Uh, but I heard questions already arising but what can we do and what should we not do on the Sabbath day if it is to be kept today I know those are the the, the pressing questions that come to you in the moment we start to talk about the Sabbath uh, but let's put those to the side for a moment let's first make a case for Sabbath keeping and then we will talk about the practical side of things Uh, thirdly it must be acknowledged that what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath is is quite complex. And by complex, I do not mean that the Sabbath is impossible to understand, or even that it is exceedingly difficult to understand. But what I am saying is that the doctrine is multifaceted. It has layers to it. There is a kind of development that has taken place throughout the history of redemption concerning the doctrine of the Sabbath. So it takes time to work through all of that. At its core... Uh, let me say from the outset that the doctrine of the Sabbath is actually quite simple. It is quite simple. The simple and unchanging moral principle at the core of the Sabbath ordinance is that God the Creator is to be worshipped by His creatures, and that man is to worship God, His Maker, in the way that God has prescribed. That is the the moral principle at the core of the Sabbath commandment. That is the the simple and unchanging principle. Man made in the image of God is to worship God in the whole of life by living in perpetual submission to Him. Man is to do his work to the glory of God and man is also to rest and worship to the glory of God. Uh, Man is to glorify God in his work for six days and he is to rest and offer up a pronounced form of worship for one. And this pattern is unchanging. Work for six, rest and worship for one. It will go on until the end of time. That is not complicated, is it? It is actually quite simple. This is the moral principle that is at the very core of the Sabbath ordinance. Uh, The symbolism of the Sabbath day is also, in some respects, simple and unchanging. Uh, What reality does the Sabbath day point to? What does it symbolize? Well, it reminds us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and He Himself entered into the rest on the seventh day. And what does the Sabbath day typify or point forward to you? Do you remember the distinction that I made last week between symbolism and typology? Symbolism points to a present reality. Typology is also symbolic, but it points forward to a reality that is not yet here. Uh, what does the Sabbath day typify or point forward to? Well, it points forward to a higher form of life for man. It is a higher form of life than we are experiencing now for sure, but it was even a higher form of life than what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. They lived in paradise, but they did not experience this rest that is typified by the Sabbath day. Indeed, they themselves were to work and eventually, through the accomplishment of their work, enter into rest. Uh, The Sabbath points forward to a higher form of life for man and did so from the beginning. Uh, This form of life, this higher form of life, is life characterized by true and thorough and eternal rest. Uh, The Sabbath day is a picture, therefore, a type, a foretaste of an unending, glorified, and truly restful life. If I were to slow down for a moment and ask you to imagine what life like that must be like, it, it sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, to live life, but to rest in the whole of life, and not to be given to toil and to labor and to trial and tribulation. And th- This is what the writer to the Hebrews so clearly teaches concerning the Sabbath day when he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. What is his point? His point is that Moses talked about a rest that was to come, and Joshua, who succeeded them, did lead the people of Israel into the promised land, didn't the conquest took place they took possession of the land and what the writer to the Hebrews was saying is that 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 was not the rest that was typified by the Sabbath day did the people of Israel enter into a kind of state of rest when they took possession of the land of, of, of Israel yes they did but that's not what the Sabbath day pointed forward to. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. There was still a Sabbath observance pointing forward to another kind of rest. So then there remains a rest, a Sabbath rest, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The writer to the Hebrews is saying the Sabbath is pointing forward to a future rest, a rest even future to us Uh, We'll give more careful attention to this passage at a later time, but, but for now I want you to see that it clearly states that a Sabbath rest remains for God's people today. In other words, there remains a Sabbath day, or a Sabbath observance for the new covenant people of God, for this is what the word sabbatismos means. It refers to a special, religiously significant period for rest and worship. So a Sabbath rest, a sabbatismos, remains for the people of God, the writer to the Hebrews is saying. So a Sabbath rest or observance remains for us. And why? Because we have not yet entered in to the eternal rest that the Sabbath has typified or symbolized from the beginning of time. And so it must remain. We have not yet entered into it. Do we rest in Christ? Yes, in a sense we do. We have tasted of that rest in Christ Jesus even now. And we are tasting of it today, aren't we? As we cease from our labor to sit here together and to give attention to God's Word, to sing praises to Him, to have fellowship together? Aren't we tasting something of that eternal rest as we observe the Lord's Day? Yes, we taste of it. But have we entered into it? No, because most of you will go back to work on Monday, won't you? And you will labor and you will toil and you will experience trials and tribulations in this life. You will struggle as sojourners in this world who look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. We look forward to it. So a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. So the symbolism is kind of simple, isn't it? It points forward to something, to a future reality. And so at its core, the Sabbath, I think, is simple. God instituted it at the beginning for man. It reminds man of God the Creator. It provides man with a pattern to follow or to live life in this way according to this pattern Six and one, six and one. And it points forward to the promise of a higher quality of life, life characterized by unending rest. The Sabbath day is a blessed day. It is a holy day, and it has been from the seventh day of creation. But here I also wish to say that the Sabbath is complex. The Sabbath day is complex. The Sabbath ordinance is nimble, and by that, I mean that it is able to change, it is able to adapt. There are some things about it that will never change. But there are other things about the Sabbath day that are able to adapt and change with the developments of the history of redemption. And here is where the complexity enters in. The Sabbath is both rigid, therefore, and it is flexible. It is unchanging and yet able to change. It is complex, the pattern of six days of work and one day of rest will never go away, not until God's people enter fully into the rest, typified by the Sabbath day at the return of Christ. But if we pay close attention to what the scriptures say about the Sabbath, as it progresses with the history of redemption, one will notice subtle and sometimes quite radical changes. These changes, mind you, are not random and arbitrary, but correspond to the development and progression of God's work of salvation. God has been working in the world to bring about the redemption of His people ever since the time of the fall. And what I am saying is that God's people from the days of Adam to this present day are to keep the Sabbath. Some things about it never change, but it is also nimble. It is able to change and, and adapt as the history of redemption, as God's accomplishment of redemption unfolds. And this is what brings the complexity to the Sabbath day. Uh, The most radical change to come to the weekly Sabbath was its transition from the seventh day of the week to the first. This was the most radical change that came uh, to the Sabbath day, the weekly Sabbath. And we will consider the change of days more carefully at another time. Uh, But for now, let me simply ask, when did this change take place? When were the people of God all of a sudden to observe the Sabbath Not on Saturday, but on Sunday. The answer, you know, it was when Christ rose from the dead, wasn't it? It's when he rose from the dead. Uh, What remained the same? Well, the pattern of six days of work and one day of rest remained the same. The Sabbath, as a blessed and holy day, set apart for the worship of God, remained. Nothing changed there. Uh, The pointing forward to eternal rest remained. It still functions in that way, to typify eternal rest. But what changed when Christ rose from the grave was that the day changed. And why? Because Christ at his resurrection from the dead ushered in a new creation. He ushered in a new creation. So the Old Sabbath, the Old Covenant Sabbath, was patterned after the first work of creation, God's creation of the heavens and the earth. But the New Covenant Sabbath, which we call the Christian Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, is patterned slightly differently, and it is patterned off of the new creation that Christ has ushered in. Now the Sabbath day reminds us, not only of the creation of the heavens and the earth, But what does it remind us of now that Christ has risen? It reminds us of that very fact that our redemption has been accomplished. Our redemption, which the scriptures call a new creation, has been accomplished. And so every Lord's day we should at least in our hearts say, He is risen and He is risen indeed. Do you see how a subtle shift has taken place, therefore. Some things remain the same, but something significant has changed. The day has changed, and now the Sabbath carries more meaning than it did before the resurrection of Christ. Not only should it remind us of the Creator, but it reminds us of our Redeemer. It reminds us of our Redeemer and the work that He has accomplished. So, The Sabbath is complex. It is both rigid and it is nimble. It is both unchanging and yet capable of change. The Sabbath also underwent changes in the days of Moses after Israel's deliverance from Egypt and upon the giving of the law. Some changes came to the Sabbath day then. Granted, the day did not change then, but remained on the seventh as it was from the time of creation. But the Sabbath did take on greater significance in the days of Moses, beginning with Moses, the Sabbath day was to remind the people of Israel not only of God's creation, but also of their deliverance from Egypt. And in Exodus 20, we have our first exposure to the Ten Commandments. And the reason given for Sabbath observance in that place, when we come to the fourth commandment of the Ten, is God's creation. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then in Exodus 20, verse 11, we read, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So observe the Sabbath day, people of God, for God created in six days and rested on the seventh. But when we come to the Ten Commandments as they are recorded in Deuteronomy 5, we see that the people are urged to remember something else when they observe the Sabbath day. A different reason is given. They are urged to remember something else. Deuteronomy 5.12, here we come to the fourth commandment of the ten. And the people of Israel are told, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. As the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, "'but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. "'On it you shall not do any work, "'you or your son or your daughter or your male servant "'or your female servant or your ox or your donkey "'or any of your livestock or the sojourner "'who is within your gates, "'that your male servant and your female servant "'may rest as well as you. "'You shall remember.'" Listen now. "'You shall remember when you observe the Sabbath, "'you shall remember that you were a slave "'in the land of Egypt.'" And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you see how some new meaning was now given to the Sabbath day for the people of Israel once they had been redeemed from Egypt? They were to remember not only God's creation and rest, but also God's deliverance. They were to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and that God brought them out. Therefore, the Lord their God commanded them to keep the Sabbath Day. It was not that Israel was no longer to observe the Sabbath on the basis of God's work in creation and his subsequent rest, but now that Israel had been redeemed, the Sabbath day was to remind them also of their redemption. So, do you see how the Sabbath is flexible? Some things remain unchanged, and yet it has the ability to take on greater meaning as God's redemptive work unfolds. So, you have Adam and you have Abraham. You have Israel in bondage to Egypt and then God performs this great act of deliverance to bring them out, which is a type of the deliverance that Christ would eventually accomplish. And now all of a sudden Israel is being told to observe the Sabbath day and to remember the fact of their slavery in Egypt and the fact of their deliverance. So the Sabbath day takes on this greater significance Israel was to remember not only creation when she observed the Sabbath day, but also her redemption from Egypt. In the days of Moses, the Sabbath day took on greater significance than it had before. And I also would like to say that something similar happened to the Sabbath at the time of man's fall from innocence and into sin. Pay careful attention here. Something similar happened to the Sabbath at the time of man's fall from innocence and into sin. While the essence of the Sabbath remained unchanged, its significance was altered. Remember that Adam and Eve were to work six days and to re- they were to rest and worship for one inside the Garden of Eden when they stood upright before God. Let us not forget that. The Sabbath was instituted when? On the seventh day of creation. Adam and Eve were to... Work and rest, work and rest in an imitation of their maker, having been made in the image of God. And they were also to work for six days and rest and worship for one, having been expelled from the Garden of Eden. Do you remember how Abraham, Adam and Eve's children, they knew to bring sacrifices to God at the appointed time? Do you remember how Israel demonstrated that it knew about the Sabbath commandment before the Ten Commandments were even given, Exodus chapter 16, compared to Exodus chapter 20. So in that time, from Adam to Moses, the people of God were still to keep the Sabbath day. They were to still observe it in obedience to their Maker. But clearly the Sabbath took on a slightly different meaning for man after the fall than it had prior to sin Entering into the world. What did the Sabbath signify for Adam and Eve while they were upright and in the garden? What did it signify? What did the Sabbath day say to them when they were upright and in the garden? Well, it communicated that they were to finish the work given to them by God fill the earth, have dominion over it, subdue it, all to the glory of your Maker. They were to finish that work. And by finishing it, they were to enter into eternal rest just as God finished His work of creation and entered into rest. That is what the Sabbath day said to Adam and to Eve. And had they had descendants in the garden, it would have said the same word to them. But what did the Sabbath signify after man's fall into sin? So I want you to imagine being Adam and Eve and going on with this pattern of 6 and 1, 6 and 1, but now outside of the garden Well, when they observe the Sabbath day over and over again, having been expelled from the garden, it would have reminded them that eternal rest was offered to them and that they came short of it. Think of it. All of a sudden, this new symbolism comes upon the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, more than just speaking good news to Adam and Eve, now condemns them, doesn't it? There is this perpetual reminder now that We did not enter into that rest. We did not enter into that rest. We did not, because the pattern remains. Uh, This was not a part of the original function of the Sabbath. Uh, the, The Sabbath did not in any way condemn Adam and Eve in the garden, but only held before them the promise of eternal rest, should they finish the work that God gave them to do. Now, I suppose that it would be right to say that the Sabbath did threaten Adam and Eve in the garden, It showed them that the work was not yet done and I suppose there was the possibility that they would not finish it. So there was a kind of threat contained within it. But the Sabbath did not condemn them while in the garden, but only held forth the potential of entering into eternal rest. But after man's fall into sin, the Sabbath day reminds us of our sin, for our lives are not characterized by rest, but by toil and trial and tribulation. Paul says in Romans 3.23, and you know this verse well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, you have sinned and you have not obtained, you have not taken possession of, you have not entered into the glory of God that was held out before Adam and Eve from the beginning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Sabbath day from the fall of man into sin on to the second coming of Christ, brings with it a very similar message to that one that Paul brought in Romans 3.23. We might say, for all have sinned and fall short of the rest of God. You fall short of the rest of God. Uh, That is what the Sabbath day now says to us each Lord's day. Sabbath rest, eternal rest, is in our future still. We have not obtained it. Each and every Sabbath day from the fall onward is a reminder that we have not entered into God's rest, at least not in full, but have come short of it. But in the moment that we emphasize the way in which the Sabbath confronts us and condemns us with having fallen short of eternal rest, we must also emphasize the way in which the Sabbath gives us hope though we are fallen. Think of this for a moment. The Sabbath reminds us that we have not entered into God's rest. and this way it condemns us. But its permanent presence in this fallen world also communicates that rest is still possible. I want you to think carefully about this. Though we rebelled against God and fell into sin, there is still one day in seven that is blessed by God and is set apart as holy and on the Sabbath day, we are invited to rest from our labors as a foretaste of the rest that will be enjoyed by all of God's people for all eternity. And the only reason that a day of rest remains for the people of God after the fall is that God has been gracious to us. He has been gracious to us. He has determined to still make a way for us to enter in to that rest. By His grace, He is determined to provide rest for His people Of course, it must come now through a Redeemer, through a Savior. What does our sin deserve? What does our sin deserve? The answer is that our sin deserves no rest at all, but only eternal torment. And indeed, this is what those not in Christ will endure, eternal torment. I want you to think back to our study through the book of Revelation in the way that it describes the punishment that those not in Christ that is, those who have worshipped the beast and its image, will, will endure. Listen carefully to Revelation fourteen eight, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his head, forehead and on his hand, he will also he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So, since we have completed a study of the book of Revelation, you should know what that means and also what it does not mean. But listen to the language here. And the smoke of their torment, those who are being condemned by God and judged by God, goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. They have no rest, day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. But then the passage goes on in Revelation 14, 12 and following, and here the focus is upon those who are redeemed. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, We read, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may have rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So here in the book of Revelation, we see uh, that eternal torment is described as no rest, whereas eternal life is described as entering into rest. So what does our sin deserve? no rest, but only torment. What has God graciously provided? He has graciously provided rest for His people. And the the weekly Sabbath communicates that this rest is still available. The way to enter into it is still open. Uh, The way to rest, typified by the Sabbath day, has not been closed off entirely, but is still open to us through the Redeemer, Christ Jesus our Lord, to To put it differently, if God had determined to leave all mankind in their sin, which He could have done, if God had determined to leave all mankind in their sin, which He could have done, then the Sabbath day would have ceased with Adam's transgression. Men and women would have been given over to a new pattern, that is a pattern of only work, unending work, unending toil, with no rest at all. What would that that have communicated to us? There is no hope. There is no hope for future rest at all, but only work, only toil, only torment. But a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, and from the time of Moses to the time of Christ, and from the time of Christ to the time of His second coming, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God, a weekly Sabbath observance. And what does it scream out to us except this? There is still hope. The Sabbath preaches the gospel to us, doesn't it? It functions as a law which condemns, I agree. We have come short of it. We have not entered into it yet. But it it preaches the gospel to us. It says there is still hope. There is still hope. Though you have fallen into sin, God has provided a way. He has provided a Redeemer. Men and women would have been given over to a new pattern of only work should God have determined not to show grace. But a Sabbath rest remains, which means that it is still possible to enter into rest by the grace of God through faith in the Redeemer. Now how appropriate it was for the Sabbath day to remain on the seventh day prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Christ and His session at the Father's right hand. Do you hear what I am now saying? Yes, the day changed upon Christ's resurrection from the seventh to the first. But how appropriate it was for the day to remain on the seventh day, from the days of Adam to the days of Moses and also from the days of Moses to the coming of the Christ. The Sabbath day was on the seventh day, that is Saturday, prior to man's fall into sin, when he was in the garden, and rightly so, Adam's faithful work would have led to eternal rest. Do you see the pattern there? Work and thus enter into rest. The rest was in the future and was to be entered into through the accomplishment of work and the Sabbath day remained on the seventh day, that is Saturday, from man's fall into sin up until the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And rightly so. Again, the rest of God could still be obtained, but only through work. Only through work. The law of God had to be obeyed. Eternal life had to be earned. The obtainment of this rest was yet in the future, and so the pattern remained. Six days of work, which would lead One day of rest. I love to say this just to kind of shock people. Um, Salvation comes only by works. Did you know that? It does. Salvation comes to the people of God only through the keeping of the law. Some of you are looking at me right now saying, Now you sound like a heretic. I'm getting nervous. But what am I saying? It comes not by our works, for we cannot keep God's law. We have already transgressed it, but it still had to be earned. Salvation had to be earned. It had to be earned by Adam, work, and enter into rest, but he failed. Who then has earned our salvation? Not you, not me, because I have transgressed God's law over and over and over again. But who earned our salvation? Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the second Adam. He is the one who has done the work. He has been faithful to God. He has kept His commandments perfectly, and He has therefore entered into rest. He rose from the dead on the third day. He walked amongst His disciples for a time, but then He ascended. And what did He do when He ascended? He sat down at the Father's right hand. So just as God the Father created and then entered into rest, so too God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh so that He might accomplish God's work as the second Adam, raised from the dead, after being crucified on our behalf, rose to the right hand of the Father and sat down. He entered into rest. And so how appropriate it was, therefore, that the Sabbath day was changed from the seventh day to the first, when Christ rose from the grave and ascended to the Father, taking His seat in the heavenly places. Why did the day change from the seventh day to the first? Because Christ Himself entered into rest. He did what Adam failed to do. He kept God's law. He earned rest through His faithful and finished work and entered into it, being seated in the heavenly realm. And so the day has changed because Christ has entered in on our behalf. We taste of it now. When we gather together each Lord's Day, and if we are united to Christ by faith, if we are in Him and not in the first Adam, and then, then we have this hope that we indeed will enter into the fullness of rest when He returns, just as the book of Revelation so vividly described. The title of this sermon is The Sabbath from Adam to Moses. And my desire today was for you to simply recognize uh, what. A wonderful testimony the Sabbath day is to the mercy and grace of God. How wonderful it must have been for Adam and Eve and their children to rest and worship on the seventh day, even after they had been expelled from the Garden of Eden. What did it communicate to them except for that a way was still open? Rest was still available to them. A way for them to have fellowship with God was still open to them. They could rest in Him on the seventh day. They could approach Him in worship, even still, even after they had fallen into sin. And a future rest, one that was in their future, they could still look forward to. It must have brought tremendous hope and comfort to the people of God. And how did they experience that rest? Except through trusting in the promises of God that were made to them even when they fell, that in due time the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent who brought deception to them. What a wonderful gospel message it was, therefore, for them to rest and worship uh, six and one, six and one, just as we uh, do today. Of course, we know that the way to rest is through faith in the Christ. Uh, We must be united to Him by faith if we are to enjoy the rest that God has earned. He himself did say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, my desire for you is that you would keep the Sabbath day, which is now the Christian Sabbath, also called the Lord's Day. And why should we? Why should we honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy? First of all, we should do so simply to give glory to God. It is only right that we come and worship Him as He has prescribed in His Word. Not according to our wisdom, but according to His Word. We should therefore keep the Sabbath day because it is right to do so. We still have ten commandments, brothers and sisters, not nine. And they are a light to our feet, a guide to our path. We also should keep the Sabbath day for our good. And here I want to say that there is still a blessing in the Sabbath day. There is blessing in it. I want you to consider what the Sabbath day does for the soul. It should be a day where you are able to cease from your ordinary pursuits, cease from your ordinary labor, cease from your ordinary hobbies, and give attention to the God who made you. Fix your eyes upon Christ so that your soul might be fed and encouraged The Sabbath day even still has a way of centering our life upon God and upon Christ. How easy it is for us, brothers and sisters, to get so distracted and overwhelmed with the things of this world. But this pattern was given to us from the beginning of time so that our lives might be centered upon God and Christ. We work, yes, but our work is not our purpose. We work so that we might rest, and when we rest, we rest in God and in Christ. This centers our life upon them. It reminds us also that we are to diligently work to the glory of God. Yes, the Sabbath command is to rest one day out of seven. But also, in order to do that, aren't we to work diligently? And even that work that we do is to be to the glory of God. When we observe the day, we find a blessing in it ultimately. We find rest for our bodies. We find rest for our souls. Our minds and our hearts are directed heavenward, where Christ is now seated. When we gather together on the first day of the week, we are reminding ourselves and one another that He is risen, He is risen indeed, and He is now seated at the Father's right hand. And so our minds and hearts are directed heavenward on this glorious day, and also our affections are directed to the new heavens and the new earth, where we will enjoy consummate rest when the Lord returns. We are reminded that a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. It is still in some respects yet future to us. So let us be careful lest we come short of entering into it. And so truly the Sabbath day, which is called the Lord's Day, is good for the soul. And this is why Jesus Himself said that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Let us continue to keep it on until the return of Christ, brothers and sisters. Let's bow before Him in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word, which gives us guidance. Uh, Lord, we thank You that You created us, but You also came down to us to reveal Yourself to us. And one of the ways that You have done so is You have given us this pattern to follow, to work and to rest, 6-1, and 6-1. and one. Help us to see the wisdom in it. Help us to see the truth of it, the symbolism and what it typifies. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that not only would we keep the Sabbath day regularly, but we would do so mindfully that we would understand what it means, and that, it, that indeed it would be a blessing to us. Father, strengthen your people, I pray, on this day and in the Lord's days to come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.